everybody. Welcome back to Crime Weekly. I'm Stephanie Harlow. And I'm Derek Lavasser. So today we are diving into the eighth and final part of the Dan Markell series. And I have to say, I was just telling Derek, I think this is one of the best episodes yet. I think this is one of the most interesting, bizarre, almost stranger than fiction. Once again, hard to believe that this stuff even happened episodes. So uh, we are going to dive in. But first, do you have anything you want to say, Derek? I know you want to talk about Criminal Coffee really quick and the shirt you're wearing because you did during Crime Weekly News. So do you want to oh, talk yeah, about that I again? Did. Yeah. So the first thing I was going to say, uh, it's interesting, and you mentioned this before. I remember a time where I said, we should cover this Markel series. And you're like, yeah, but is there going to be enough? No, I didn't say remember but. That? I was just like, is there enough for like at least three parts? You know? And you're like, yeah, yeah I think so. And I'm like, and then I got into it and I was like, wow. They're, this is crazy. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Yeah. And as far as Criminal Coffee, I mentioned on Crime Weekly News if you haven't seen it, but Criminal Coffee Co., if you want to head over there, we have merch in stock. I'm wearing something right now if you're listening on audio. We're still working on merging the two sites. It's close to getting there. It's already in the process, actually. The products are being uploaded to the main site, so you'll be able to purchase coffee and merch together. Um, which will obviously make the transaction process a lot smoother. So bear with us a couple more weeks. I don't think it should take longer than that, and we'll be up and running, and everything will be under one roof. But in the meantime, if you're just looking to buy merch, especially right now where it's getting a little colder, I know we got a snowstorm coming here in Rhode Island tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, comfortable sweatshirts, or what do you call them, crewnecks? These are crew no, that's a crewneck. So we have a hoodie. Which I have a hoodie, you guys. I actually was just wearing it in uh, an Instagram story the other day. It's like a, what would you call it? It's kind of like purple, but like maroon sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a hoodie. It's it's my favorite hoodie to wear. It is the most comfortable. I also have the crew neck. I personally prefer the hoodie, just the way it feels on me and I can sort of hide in it. But I have the crew neck as well, which is great. That's more like a dressing up sort of sweatshirt for me but i love i love our merch i love our crop tops we have the crop tops i have it in blue once again that maroon um we have crop tanks great stuff there in the criminal coffee uh store merch store so go check that out that's it we can get right into it two all minutes right. in it's all we got it all banged out so nobody Look can that. cry and complain about it they still will they still will <laughs> for sure Okay, so on November 6th, 2023, Charlie Adelson was found guilty of first-degree murder, conspiracy, and solicitation after an eight-day trial in the Leon Circuit Court. He was then transferred to the Leon County Detention Facility to wait for his sentencing, at which point he would then be uh, sent to prison. Charlie's mother, Donna Sue Adelson, would be arrested just a week later on November 13th as she and her husband Harvey attempted to flee the country. In that short time period, Charlie spoke on the phone for roughly 35 hours over the course of 86 phone calls. And most of these calls were made to the same number, his mother's cell phone. Donna Sue's arrest affidavit would state, quote, jail calls from after Charles Adelson's guilty verdict include multiple calls in which Donna Sue Adelson is telling Charlie Adelson that she is getting things in order, creating trusts and making sure her grandchildren are taken care of. Donna discusses plans for a suicide, but also discusses plans to flee to a non-extradition country. Donna Sue Adelson has considerable financial resources to accomplish this, end quote. Now, jail records show that Charlie and Donna Sue talked every single day from the date of his conviction to the date of her arrest. The Tallahassee Democrat reported, quote, from October 23rd, 
through November 6th, Charlie Adelson made a total of 116 phone calls to his mom's phone, totaling more than 2,343 minutes or just over 39 hours. Some 90% of the calls were made starting the night of his conviction and running through his mom's arrest. Five of the calls were flagged as three-way call detected the records show. Under the jail's 2017 inmate guide, which is being revised, third-party calls are not allowed. The single longest call, which lasted nearly two hours, occurred on November 7th, the day after the conviction of Charlie Adelson. The day of his mom's arrest, he spent nearly two and a half hours on the phone. All jail calls are recorded and monitored, with the exception of conversations between inmates and their lawyers. And while the jail used to restrict phone calls to no longer than 15 minutes, it loosened those rules in the wake of the pandemic. Angela Green Sherrod, a spokeswoman for the Leon County Sheriff's Office, said incarcerated individuals can make collect and prepaid calls using phones located in each of the pods or electronic tablets that each one is issued. She said the technology was implemented during the pandemic when the detention facility moved from on site to video inmate visitation. Mutaki Akbar, a noted Tallahassee criminal defense lawyer, said inmates don't have to wait to use the phone like they did before COVID. They essentially have unfettered access to phones and tablets, absent a lockdown, allowing them to make calls at will. He said, quote, as long as there's not a shutdown going on, they can just use the phone as long as they have money on it. And somebody like Adelson, who has an unlimited amount of money, that's pretty much like having a cell phone in his cell. All he needs is somebody to just put money on his phone in order to make whatever phone calls that he wants to make. Akbar was surprised, however, by the amount of time that Charlie Adelson spent on the phone, particularly in the week leading up to his mother's arrest. Akbar said, quote, five hours a day does seem long, end quote. Akbar said he advises his clients who are in jail to stay in touch with family and friends via the phones and talk about general things, but definitely not the case. He said law enforcement and prosecutors in particular mine recorded phone calls for evidence they can use in court. He said he's seen defendants deny allegations in court only to admit them in jail calls. Quote, it happens all the time, Akbar said. We've seen it all. It could be that nail in the coffin a lot of times. And it could be the difference between we've got a triable case and we've got to take this plea, end quote. And that's pretty much what happened in this situation, at least with Donna Sue. Charlie was already in prison or, you know, already in in the Leon County Detention Facility on his way to prison. But Donna, they were already looking into her. They were trying to figure out a way to arrest her. And the things she said during these phone calls, it really moved that along. Now, keep in mind, there's an automated recording that plays before each one of these calls, a recording that both Charlie and Donna Sue could hear each and every time. This is a prepaid collect call from an incarcerated individual at the Leon County Jail. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. This call is not private. It will be recorded. It may be monitored. Yet Donna Sue still made incriminating and concerning statements while on the phone with her son. Uh, So let's go over some of these phone calls and see what this dynamic duo had to discuss for so long. But first, I want to talk about a call that Charlie had with someone else on November 6th, the night of his conviction. And we have not talked about this before because I typically like to leave out family, especially children, if they're not relevant to the case. But at the time of Charlie being arrested and tried for you know being a part of the murder of Dan Markell, he was a father. Um, he had a child, a son, with a woman named Brianna Price, and this son was six years old when Charlie was you know put on trial for murder. Now, apparently, this is a, a weird connection, but 
from what I could tell, Brianna Price worked as a nanny for a boyfriend of Wendy Adelson's named Dave. And that's how Charlie met Brianna. And Charlie got Brianna pregnant while he was still technically dating June Umchinda. But the two of them were on a break. So as he's with June, he's sleeping with Brianna. He gets Brianna pregnant. And then obviously him and June are not going to work out. And Charlie and Brianna sort of started, I guess, dating. And I actually found through public records that for a time, Brianna Price was listed as a resident at Charlie Adelson's Whale Harbor home. So they must have had some sort of relationship where he felt it was, uh, you know, appropriate for her to live with him. In 2019, though, Brianna brought Charlie to court to establish paternity, and she was awarded $1,500 a month in child support. But from most reports, it seemed that Charlie was never super involved in the life of his son. Now, during their call, Brianna's upset. She's crying. She says she cannot believe it. She can't believe this happened. And, you know, Charlie didn't deserve this. Brianna asked Charlie if he wanted to see her, if he wanted to see their son. And he says he does, but he can't stand the thought that it will have to happen with three inches of glass between them. But Charlie does tell Brianna that he loves her and he loves their son and he'll do everything in his power to continue taking care of them both. Whether it's through a glass or not, we'll be there. Okay? What's up? I said, whether it's through a glass or not, we'll be there. You want anything? You ask me for anything? I, I will have it. Okay. Yeah, you, have it. you guys, you guys would like to, you know, like, stay up the phone and call my son and talk to him every day. Of course. You know, I'll be here for you guys and come visit, you know, like. I cannot. Oh, I can't believe Yeah, that clip, it's, it's hard because on one hand, you hear it, and I think most people probably in a weird, for a second there, feel bad. Not so much for Charlie, but more for the child, yeah, right? And the fact that they're going to grow up without a father and he's going to have to talk to his dad through a glass and all this stuff. But it's only for a second because we all know that more than likely the son, the, the child is going to be better off without him. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. But, but, you know, for a second there, you know, just on the surface, you're like, oh, this that's terrible, right? But um, But it is what it is. But before we continue, let's take our first break. We'll get right back into it. I think the past few years have been very difficult for a lot of people. A lot of things have happened in the world that have caused stress and anxiety, and we all get down sometimes. And when that happens, it's just not very productive for our lives. And in these past few years, I realized it would probably be beneficial to me to talk to somebody, like a therapist. But I hadn't really been regularly doing therapy at that point, so I didn't even know how to get started. But Talkspace made it easy to find a therapist that I liked and who could help me. And the best part is it's very convenient to meet with your therapist online, at home, or wherever you're the most comfortable. I think that having somebody to talk to on a regular basis, uh, not having to schedule, you know, child care, not having to make sure somebody's here with the kids, and I can just meet with this person from the comfort of my home has been a game changer. With Talkspace, you can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, and this typically happens within 48 hours, which is 
far quicker than traditional therapy where you're sometimes waiting weeks or even months to see somebody. And when you're in a really bad place and you need help, you don't have that long to wait. Besides it being convenient to have the ability to meet with somebody virtually, not have to set up childcare, not have to commute to an appointment, Talkspace also lets you stay in touch with your therapist between appointments so you can send messages to your therapist and you don't have to wait for your next session. Therapy can really help you shift your perspective. It can help you find tools to cope in difficult times and be a guiding light through the dark. And Talkspace can help with any specific challenges you might be facing. It's the number one online therapy platform with licensed therapists in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, substance abuse, relationship issues, and much more. Also, Talkspace is secure and private. They use the latest end-to-end bank-grade encryption technology to store client information, and they comply with the latest HIPAA regulations. Talkspace is also affordable and in-network with most major insurers. So we highly suggest, you know, I, I think everybody should do therapy, even if you feel like you're absolutely fine. It's always good to have that listening ear, to have that outside perspective. So we definitely suggest that you give Talkspace a try for yourself, and Derek's going to tell you how. Yeah, I could use some therapy this week for sure. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely, right? Uh, so as a listener or a viewer of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Crime Weekly. To match with a licensed therapist today, just go to Talkspace.com slash Crime Weekly to get $80 off your first month and show your support for this channel. Once again, that's Talkspace.com slash Crime Weekly. Okay, we're back. So the phone call continues and Brianna asked Charlie, you know, what do you want from me? Do you want photos? Do you want visits? Like, what can we do? And Charlie's like, listen, I'll tell you what I want. And I don't want photos right now. And Brianna tells Charlie that he has her and their son forever. And listen, I can't for the life of me figure this out. I can't for the life of me figure this out. Because Charlie, to me, like, I know everyone says he's handsome and like, oh, he's a handsome, he's got a nice body, smart, wealthy dentist, blah, blah, blah. I can't figure out how Charlie keeps pulling all of these stand-by-your-man women. I can't. But Brianna is truly ride or die. I mean, Charlie, you have us forever. I mean, there's, there's... Yeah. I know it's not ideal to only have a phone conversation relationship with your son. But if that's what you have, then that's what you have. And I will never let you down with that. Okay? And yeah. you will wrong. Yeah. And I will be there. You just let me know what you need, what you want in the moment. Okay? I promise to do anything and everything to make you happy and proud. And to make Roman the best man that he can absolutely be. To be honest, Charlie, we haven't been all settled because we haven't had you. So any life change, we're all getting used to it together, okay? Think about everything that's happening. You need to digest and think about things. And, you know, just know that I'm I'm here for anything that you need. Charlie, you're an amazing person. You always have been. You've been the most generous, the most supportive a very, you know, nice person. Charlie is the most generous, the most supportive, the most nicest person of them all. It's like, who is she talking about? <laughs> well, in fairness to her, that might be the version she's seen. 
doesn't mean it's accurate. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I mean, he's on trial for murder. Did you not watch the trial, dude? I think I think especially when you have a child with someone, it's easy for you to take everything they're saying and believe it. You know, it's one of those things where he's telling her his version. That's the only version of him that she's seen. And I also think there's some human element to it where you don't want to believe that the person you're in love with is capable of something like that. And for the, I think she's Ugh, maybe looking love, at it. Gross with Charlie Adelson. <laughs> I think I think she's also looking at it like now she has to raise this child on her own. And she thought that she was going to have this life together with this man, and like everything is turned upside down for her. And she even says it in the first the first recording, the first clip. I like I can't believe this is happening. I guess. Um, I mean, I just I don't I don't understand it. I, I, I don't understand it because I feel like he's so oily and so sketchy in general. But but I, I will say, in fairness to her, when he was testifying during the trial, like he is a believable liar. He is absolutely a believable liar. And I think that's because he forces himself to believe these things in his own brain. And you'll hear him in these calls. Um, talking to Brianna, talking to his his mother, Donna Sue, and his father, Harvey. And I had to listen to hours and hours and hours of these phone calls. And he repeats himself. He, he keeps saying the same thing. For instance, Charlie tells Brianna the trial was a sham. And he says this. He said the same things he says to her, he says to his mother. And he'll repeat this. I mean, there's days after days of phone calls where he just keeps going over this. Like, I, this absolutely had to be a sham. I can't believe this happened. Like, what is going on? There's no way that these people found me guilty. As if he genuinely believes he's not guilty. <laughs> and so Charlie tells Brianna, quote, I knew it was a sham. The amount of press that this has gotten, the amount of publicity that this has gotten, the amount of coverage in this town that this has gotten. I'm public enemy number one up here. They didn't even review the evidence. The closing that the prosecutor did, she put up so much fucking bullshit things, things that aren't true, things that were cut and pasted, like the Cliff Notes versions that made it all seem perfect for the jury. She dumped it down to a third grade level and was like, this is what happened. When I saw her closing, I was like, this is a joke, end quote. And uh, Charlie hates Georgia Kappelman, the prosecutor hates her. I mean, we saw that um, evidenced during during the trial, the way that Georgia and Charlie went back and forth. And I'm sure that there's no love lost on Georgia's part towards Charlie, but he does not like her at all. And it's funny because he makes it seem like she's this manipulative person. And it almost feels like projection because of how manipulative that he is. And so he sees this nefarious tendency to be manipulative in others. And Charlie is absolutely flabbergasted that the trial did not go his way. And uh, the mother of his son, Brianna, she commiserates with Charlie about how horrible Georgia Kappelman is and how the prosecutor did him wrong. She literally just attacked me personally. She's like, you're arrogant. She's had your name in her mouth for nine years now. Yeah. For nine years. And I hope she goes to sleep very happy tonight because she's a disgusting human being that I hate so much that took away the father's leg. Yeah, I think that right kind of like basically puts a puts a nail in the whole idea of what I was saying as far as Brianna is definitely clouded by her own judgment her own personal opinions on Charlie. And anybody who's trying to take Charlie away from her and her son, they're the villain. They're the bad guy. And I tell you, I've experienced this a lot in my career. There's been many instances 
where, and I've said this before to about different cases, but there'll be situations that I have as a detective or even as a patrolman where I walk into a domestic dispute and and the woman's got bruises and cuts and slashes and broken ribs and I arrest the, the guy, you know, obviously primary aggressor. This thing goes to trial and the woman's in the courtroom staring at me like I'm the bad guy, like I'm the one who struck her. And in some cases, they explain why they're so upset with me. And it's because, hey, that's the father of my children. You know, that's just how they look at it, even though they know for a fact that this person did what they were arrested for and what they're charged with. They're still looking at me as the common enemy amongst them and their uh, their husband or in this case, their offender. But they, they're just they can't see that they got the blinders on and they have to come up with a with a person that they can direct their anger towards other than the person who's actually responsible for being in prison. It's just, it's crazy. But I don't know the psychological element to it. I, I can't explain it. So that's a different situation to me in the in the form or in the situation of abuse. There is like a brainwashing tactic that happens. There's a manipulation. There's a push pull energy and it's a very toxic cycle. In this situation, for me, it's giving Delulu, Bonnie, and Clyde vibes. Georgia Kappelman did not take away the father of your child, Brianna. Charlie did that just fine all by himself. And there is a, uh, I don't know what, it, what what I would refer to it as, but a, a, there are situations where women know that the men they're with are bad. But they want to, but because they want to, for some reason, stay with that man, it's almost as if they want to be like, oh, yeah, everybody else has done you wrong, but I won't. So they, they, they basically enable these men to be toxic and bad. It's like, I'm not like other girls, you know, I'm not like your crazy ex. Uh, anybody who comes after you, I'm going to hate them just ferociously because it's going to, you know, make you feel like I'm I'm the one who's got your back and I'm the one only one who's ever going to be here for you. It's a weird almost manipulation tactic of like, I know what you're saying is toxic and I know it's probably not true, but I'm going to make you feel that it is because I want to be the one at the end of the day that you choose. It's a pick me girl thing, honestly, but whatever. Just hearing her be like, I hate Georgia Kappelman. What, for doing her job? For doing her job? What do you hate her for? Once again, no one took Charlie away from you besides Charlie. And at the end of the day, Charlie wouldn't wouldn't be hanging around with Brianna for life anyways. He's not the marrying white picket fence type of guy. So like, what what did you expect? This was always going to be temporary. Yeah. No, I'm with you. I think the Bonnie and Clyde element to it where it's like it's us against the world. Yeah, we're going to go down together, man. (laughs) Yeah. No, you're not wrong. You're definitely not wrong. And for most of us, it's not going to make sense, but it shouldn't because- all Georgia Kappelman was doing was her job Mm -hmm. and she was a fact finder and they had built a case. And as we have seen through these last seven parts, which is why it's so important to kind of go deep into these, you understand the context of where this hatred's coming from because you have personally got the chance to listen or watch the, uh, the, the conversations. Yeah. Yeah. The interactions between Charles Adelson and, and Georgia Kappelman, and it's you can cut the tension with a knife. There was definitely an element of hatred. Who's smarter? Yeah. Who's smarter here? How's this going to work out? And Georgia was fighting battles with everybody. Wendy, Charlie. I mean, she was. It was the battle of the egos. So it's um it's interesting to hear the other perspective of it, and how after hearing all of those facts surrounding this case, 
uh, Brianna can still sit there and think that uh, Georgia Kappelman is the enemy here and not not Charlie for making some stupid decision um, that now affects her and her child for the rest of their lives. So psychologically, in my opinion, I know people, I know men like Charlie, and he has no respect for women in general. So somebody like Georgia Kappelman, who is going head to head with him, who's challenging him, who isn't caving into him, he's going to have resentment and animosity towards her. He picks women like Junam Chinda and uh, Brianna here and even uh, Katie, right? Katie Magbuanua that are going to not challenge him. They're not going to question him. They're going to go with his flow. They're going to support him. They're going to be the woman waiting at home. You know, it reminds me of like a mob wife thing. You know, they all knew that their husbands were out there killing everybody and having girlfriends and flaunting their girlfriends around town, but they stayed at home and cooked and took care of the kids and welcomed their husbands home with a glass of wine and, and a lasagna. That's the type of woman that Charlie likes, not, does not respect. He doesn't respect any women, but he likes the women who are just going to give in to him and go along with him and not question him and not challenge him. So when Georgia Kappelman standing up there, not only questioning and challenging him, but doing it publicly and in a way where he felt like, yo, why are you coming at me like this in front of all these people? That's why he reacted so poorly and so sassily to Georgia Kappelman. And that's why he hates her so very much, because she's not a woman who's just going to be like, yeah, you do whatever you need to do, Charlie. I'm here for you no matter what. But let's take our break and we'll be right back. Are you that one friend in your friend group that loves to treat yourself? I know I am. I mean, we all do, right? You know, you get a pedicure and you opt for that extra 10-minute foot massage with the green tea infused lotion. You refuse to make coffee at home because that fancy coffee shop is right downstairs. You opt for the extra legroom seat on the plane because your vacation starts immediately. And you always buy double at a sale because it's actually like saving money. Well, if you treat yourself to the top options with everything in life, why settle when finding a doctor? It's your health, after all. One of the most important things, the best way to treat yourself. Enter ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top-tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. So don't settle. Go for the best and find the right doctor for you with ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. No more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual real patients. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. And with the app, you can filter specifically for the ones who are going to take your insurance or located near you and treat basically any condition you're searching for. This is the best part for me because honestly, I have a tendency to book doctor's appointments weeks or months out and then completely forget about them. And with ZocDoc, the typical wait time to see a doctor is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. Oftentimes, you can even score same-day appointments. And once again, that is the best for me because if I have to wait for anything, I'll forget or then I won't feel like going. I'll change my mind. I need to do it immediately when I decide to do something. So Derek and I definitely think there is a lot of value in ZocDoc. If you're looking for a doctor, we suggest that this is the only route you take. And he's going to tell you how you can check it out for yourself. That's right. Just go to ZocDoc.com slash Crime Weekly and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. Once again, that's ZocDoc.com slash Crime Weekly. One more time, ZocDoc.com 
slash crimeweekly. Okay, so during a call with Donna Sue and Harvey that happened at 7.50 a.m. on the morning of November 7th, 2023, Charlie complains about his conditions in jail. So at first, he's kind of kept in isolation. They think he's going to hurt himself. They think that he's, you know, not mentally well. <laughs> he, he he most likely behaved in a way that made them believe this. And they, they put him in this room that has what he kept calling mirrored glass. So I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but he kept saying... I can't take this. Like, they don't turn the lights off at night. I'm in a room where they can see me, but I can't see them. And all I can see is myself because it's a mirror and they're always watching me. And I'm I'm alone and I only get out of here one hour a day and I don't go outside. And this is just horrible. Now, are you familiar with these like um, monitoring rooms where they can be watched through two-way glass? Like but, two-way mirrors? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well- I mean, yeah, they exist everywhere, interrogation rooms, anything But are they like in that. prisons in, in, in this, sure. or in detention facilities I'm where sure. they would just watch you all night? And that's why they don't turn the lights off at night because they're afraid you're going to hurt yourself, I guess, or do something, or they just need to always be watching you. And, and he was there for, you know, longer than he wanted to be, basically. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you're not entitled to, to privacy in a prison, so yeah. that's, that's the, way the, it's the way the cookie crumbles. You're not entitled to privacy on prison calls either, I wonder if uh, they knew that. But so he's he's talking, he's complaining. He's real upset. His voice, he's, he, you can tell he's been crying. He's just completely uh, beside himself. And his mother, Donna Sue, hearing her little baby boy so upset and so sad, she can't, she can't take it, man. And she's, she's very clearly upset about the way that things have played out. We gotta take care of things, Charlie. We gotta take care of It's like I'm dead. I mean, I hate to tell you this, but it ain't a whole lot different. Oh, fuck. No, please, I know. Oh, fuck. I listen to everybody. You got no idea. No, I know. You got, you got, a, you got no you fucking know. idea. That's all I gotta say. Charlie, I know, I know, I know. I know, I love you. I love you. Maybe something will happen. Maybe this mistrial will take place and get a different venue. Let's Let's hope for that. Let's just see. Let's just see. Okay? It's not over. It's not not over. Please. Charlie, we'll try everything. We'll try everything. No, I got If you couldn't hear, because obviously the audio of Donna and Harvey Adelson is clearer than Charlie's audio. But if you couldn't hear what Charlie said, he said, quote, it's like I'm dead. I hate to tell you it ain't much different. End quote. So and he says, fuck, you know, I listened to everybody. And and to elaborate on this, he's because he does elaborate on the phone call. He's like, I took all this advice and everybody told me it was going to be fine. And and I should have gone with my gut. Now, I'm not sure what Charlie believes he would have done differently either during the investigation or during the trial, but he keeps saying that he would have done things differently. Uh, so what do you think about this clip with Charlie and Donna and Harvey? It's a lot different when you get caught, right? This right. isn't what you plan for. They're not so smug like, now. You know, I know I know people down south. I can make people disappear. I can do all these things. Big, tough guy. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you think you're smarter than the police and you think you can get away with it. You think you've covered all your bases. You've dotted all your I's, crossed all your T's. There's no way you're getting caught. This is the perfect crime. 
Your money can solve anything. You don't take no for an answer. Dan Markell thinks he's going to have the last word. We'll show him. Well, guess what? Now you're now, in now you're crying to your mommy on the phone yeah. yep. from from because a detention center. Because the judicial system, in some ways, not it's not perfect, but not it doesn't care how much money you have. In some cases, mm-hmm. <laughs> not all cases. Or it but doesn't it, care how uh, how street smart and dangerous you think you are. Yeah, you ain't so bad in prison with real criminals, real bad guys. Yeah, he's he's miserable. And I mean, there was times I'm not I couldn't possibly them hours and hours of phone calls. He's just sobbing on the phone. And I have to say, there is a human element in me that's like, oh, this is kind of hard to listen to. But at the same time, like it's Charlie Adelson and he had it coming. So they get off the phone. But then another call takes place at 844 a.m. Initially, Charlie seems a bit broken, almost as if he's realizing how hard the consequences of one's own actions can hit. He's He's talking like in this way. He's like, I had a great life. I had everything. You know, I I had money and I worked so hard. Nothing was ever handed to me. And I, I built this amazing world. And now I have nothing. He just he couldn't believe how everything could change and fall apart so quickly. But then he and Donna Sue begin mocking Georgia Kappelman and the jury. Charlie calls Kappelman the Tallahassee hometown girl. And Donna Sue pipes up that she noticed how Georgia Kappelman laid on her southern accent thick to play to the jury, to play to these stupid rednecks on the jury. The mother and son even joke about TV being a code word and how stupid a person must be to believe that it was actually a code. I think she, like, quoted Wendy to make it seem like like I'm a fool, you know, and like, oh, look, even his own sister said this, you know, like, taking things out of context. Yeah. And it's like... You take anything out of context, you can make it sound ridiculous. That's what they did. And either yeah. a bunch of stupid jurors, or they just, these people knew what they were going to do before they walked in. Well, they, and they also got riled up by the hometown girl. And they had, they had it all, it all looked, it was like a, it was like she made a TV production. Oh, wait, I said TV again. What? Like, don't say that's the code word. I just said TV, don't, don't say that. Yeah. Like, Anyone with a brain who looked at that knew better. Anyone. Not these But, but now when you dump it down like this, you're like, it's not worse than this three times. It's got to be related. What else could they be talking? What else? What else? Like, wow. Anyone who saw Lacoste testify knew he was lying. He was twitching. He was turning red. He was talking beyond any question that was asked. The guy's a, a liar. Uh, liar. Everybody knew. Yeah, but when, but, when she, but when she sums it up, in the summary, it wasn't him testifying. It was her putting the package together for you. And the package was Georgia Capitalist Presentation 101. The audacity of these people. Okay, the audacity to even bring up this TV cohort and be like, what could they possibly have been talking about? Because it's like, we already we already went through this. What could you have possibly been talking about? Why did you use TV as a code word? And now you're like mocking it as in like, oh, how stupid could people be to think this was a code word? What a bunch of idiots. And it's not, you know, Georgia Kaplan just put on this whole like show for everyone and and nobody actually listened to the evidence. But it's like the jury sat through the entire trial. The jury did not just sit through Georgia Kaplan's opening statements and closing statements. They sat through the entire trial. They listened to the evidence. They heard it. They took time out of their lives to do that. 
that they didn't probably want to do. And and then they sat in a freaking room and argued over over the, the conviction. Well, they didn't actually argue because every single one of them came back with the same decision. There wasn't a hung jury. Nobody was sitting here like, oh, we got to convince people to, to jump on board. Every single member of that jury said guilty for Charlie. And he mentions this in the phone calls, too. He's like, how? How could all 11 people say this? Like, we didn't even get one, one to believe me. And and they are literally talking on these phone calls as if they're innocent. But they know that they're not. They are just mad that people didn't buy it. So they think the people are stupid for seeing through their lies. And this is the sign of a narcissist. They get mad when you don't believe their lies. And I think that this is an entire family of narcissists, with the exception possibly of Harvey, who just doesn't really know what the hell's going on. And when he does, he kind of, I think, convinces himself that it's not. Even when Donna Sue gets arrested, Harvey is telling the police, and we're going to see a clip of it later, but he's like, you've made a mistake. And you've made a, this is the second time you've made a mistake now, referring to Charlie and then Donna being arrested. And and it's like, Harvey, dude, like, just, you got to give up, man. You got to cut these people loose at this point. Because Donna Sue, Charlie, and Wendy are all flaming narcissists. Like, horribly. Well, I definitely think Harvey, at least it sounds like it on the surface, was probably not involved in the initial planning of this and how much they told him before he got to hear it with his own ears at trial. That remains to be seen. Like, what was he actually, how much was he actually in on this by the time it got to the point? Like, what conversation happened behind closed doors with Donna and with Harvey? Because I will tell you this. We all assume that once the chips, you know, the dominoes started falling, that Donna Sue probably had a conversation with her husband about everything that happened. It just like disclosed all the details of what they actually did because that's her husband. Why wouldn't she? But just think about this for a second. This is the same woman who just got tricked by the FBI in the bumps thing. So is it possible that she was nervous to even say something in her own home for the fear of it being bugged or Whatever could be happening. So how much did she really tell him? Yeah, but did Harvey watch the trial? That's exactly what I'm saying. Like, so how much did she know? How much did he know going into the trial? Then after the trial, this goes back to Brianna, where he's watching his son battle with this this prosecutor, and he's going into it with a skewed judgment of my poor son is going up against this big bad prosecutor who's just trying to convict my son on something he didn't do. That's his if he's going into it with that that perception, that feeling, he's going to be skewed in how he perceives like we watched it objectively and we think Charlie sounds like an idiot, right? And we think that Wendy sounds like a like a narcissistic asshole as she's going back and forth, but that's not my daughter. That's not my son. So it's different for them than it would be for us. Come on. He's a smart, intelligent man. He's like 80 years old, dude. Like you're telling me he didn't watch that trial and be like, huh, I see. And then Donna was like, we got to go to Vietnam. And he's like, yep, that's exactly what innocent people do. Like, and then not, he's on I'm the phone with Charlie know. in prison. And he's like, we love you, Charlie. We're going to get you out. We're going to yeah. get you out, Charlie. Stephanie, you would be doing the exact same thing if it was your son or daughter. I don't know. I don't know. A hundred percent. You would I have zero I, I, doubt in my mind. I, I don't know if I would. I would say I love you. Yeah. But I'd be yeah, like. You wouldn't be on the phone calling like, the prosecutor an asshole. You're lying. I, I don't. You're I, lying. Right I don't know. I don't know. Okay. If I was you Harvey, I don't think Harvey did that. Donna did that. But she's No, but I'm just saying he, he didn't. He did exactly what you're saying you would do. 
Which it's no, like, he's like, well, we're going to get you out. I can't believe this happened. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. It's like to me, I'd be like, I love you, but, you know, I wish you had consulted with me because we could have figured something else out. And you decided you and your mother decided you knew best. So like not going to say that on a recording. True. I mean, they said <laughs> a lot of I mean? other things on the recording that we're going to play that they shouldn't have said. But yeah, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. So let's talk about sleep and how important it is and how if you want the best sleep, you're going to get it on a Helix Sleep mattress. I've been sleeping on my Helix mattress for several years now, so long that I can't even remember. It's definitely been, you know, three, maybe going on four years of my Helix Sleep mattress and my sleep has improved. I can never, ever go back. And I mean, I had a pretty expensive mattress before. Like it was actually very, very expensive and I never got great sleep on it. I would wake up feeling sore. My back was always hurting and, and I was like, I'm way too young for this. So I just eventually assumed that all humans wake up feeling like they've been in a car crash while they sleep. But with Helix, that completely changed for me. The Helix lineup offers 20 unique mattresses, including the award-winning Lux collection. I personally have the Midnight Lux mattress. I know Derek does too. We both love it. They also have the newly released Helix Elite collection. They have a mattress designed for big and tall sleepers and even a mattress made just for kids. Both of my young kids have the Helix Kids mattress. And I will say not only do they love it, but it's super comfortable for me to sleep on too because I'm always having to get in their beds. And the cool thing, about the Helix Sleep Kids mattress is you can flip it. So on one side, they have a mattress designed for younger children. And then as your child ages, you can flip it over and the mattress is a little bit more firm as they grow and they need more support. So with so many mattresses to choose from, how will you know which Helix mattress works best for you and your body? Well, you're going to do just what I did and just what Derek did. You're going to take the Helix Sleep Quiz and find your perfect mattress in under two minutes. And your personalized mattress is going to be shipped straight to your door free of charge. The great thing is Helix knows there's no better way to test out a new mattress than by sleeping on it in your own home. You're going to go to a mattress store and buy a mattress, bring it home, find out you don't like it. They are not going to take that mattress back. But Helix is going to give you a 100-night trial and a 10 to 15 year warranty to try out your new Helix mattress. So if you sleep on this mattress for a month and you decide this isn't for me, it's not giving me what I want, you can send it back to them and they will pay for shipping and they're not going to ask you any questions. Everyone's unique. Everyone sleeps differently. That's why Helix has several different mattress models to choose from. Each is designed for different sleep positions and feel preferences, which are going to decide what your you know sleep preferences and sleep position is during the quiz. So they have models with memory foam layers to provide optimal pressure relief if you sleep on your side like I do. They have models with more responsive foam to cradle your body for essential support in stomach and back sleeping positions. Plus, they even have enhanced cooling features to keep you from overheating at night. And if your spine needs a little extra TLC, Helix has you. Because every Helix mattress has a hybrid design, they combine individually wrapped steel coils in the base with premium foam layers on top. It's the perfect combination of comfort and support. So we love our Helix mattresses. We definitely think if you're in the market for a new bed or if you're just feeling like, you know, something's got to give with your your sleeping at night and you're just not getting enough restful sleep and you're waking up sore, we suggest you check out Helix and Derek's going to tell you how. That's right. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners and viewers. Just go to helixsleep.com slash crimeweekly and use our code helixpartner20. That's all one word, helixpartner20. This is their best offer yet and it will not last long. With Helix, better sleep starts now. Okay, so Donna Sue 
and Charlie, they're still on the phone and they're they're discussing the jury and they're talking about how the people chosen to sit in judgment of Charlie were partially, if not mainly responsible for bringing back the incorrect guilty verdict. Donna told Charlie, I don't understand how this could happen. All of my friends watched the trial and we all believed you would be acquitted. And, and my friends are smart, you know, smart, wealthy, influential people. And she says, quote, this is from intelligent people. That's my problem, end quote. And then Charlie responded, quote, that's the catch. That's a jury of my peers. And he means the smart, intelligent people that Donna knows. And he go, he continues and says, the jury of my peers was not there, end quote. Charlie then went through each juror claiming that they were the perfect group to be sympathetic to the prosecution's case, but they would resent someone like him, someone smart, wealthy, and successful. He said, quote, there was five black women on the jury, one black guy that was a sergeant, one kind of redneck looking a bit, then three guys that looked like they were inbred, that they were like out of shape, 30 years old, look like they've never had a girl in their life, end quote. <laughs> Charlie thinks that being able to have sex with women makes you a, a reliable person to sit on a jury, apparently. And he just basically talks down about every single one of them because he's mad that they didn't buy their story. Now, I want to go back to November 6th. This was the day that Charlie was found guilty when he and Donna Sue had an interesting phone call during which she expressed her frustration with Charlie's sister, Wendy. Now, law enforcement claims it was the statements Donna Sue made during this call that were responsible for triggering her arrest because not only does she talk about Wendy, but she says some other things that suggests she's getting ready to do something because she fears that she's the next one to be in cuffs. She's getting ready to do something. Sometimes she talks about maybe ending her life. Sometimes she talks about fleeing the country. But she's saying this on the call. But here's the odd thing. Charlie wasn't even on the phone when Donna Sue said these things. They had been talking for about 25 minutes when somehow Charlie got dropped from the call. But the call and the recording of the call continued as Donna Sue is talking to somebody in the background, which we believe to be her husband, Harvey. And she's saying, oh, we got disconnected again. This always happens. I'm sure Charlie will be back. And then she proceeds to stay on the phone and chat it up with Harvey as if Charlie not being on the phone meant that she was no longer being listened to or recorded. So first, let's talk about what Donna Sue said about Wendy. And this is very interesting because I know that Derek, you and I have gone back and forth, like, was Wendy involved? How involved was she? How much does she know? And I've tried to not continue bringing her up in each episode in a, in the in the way or in the context of, like, maybe she was more involved than we think. But the case itself won't let me do that. So this is coming from her own mother. Apparently, Donna Sue was very put out because Wendy had not made any effort to call and check up on her parents or her brother in the wake of his trial. And it kind of looked like Wendy had been distancing herself for months because Donna Sue says something to Harvey like, you know, we've been living here for years and she's never even visited. We've been living here for a few years. She hasn't visited. She doesn't call. She doesn't check up on us. She's not seeing how we're doing. I can't believe this. So Donna Sue, because she doesn't like the way that Wendy's behaving, because she doesn't like the distance that Wendy's putting between herself and her family, she starts texting Wendy to try and make her feel bad and guilty for abandoning her family in their time of need. And it does seem like Donna Sue feels agitated that she was unable to guilt her daughter into doing what she wanted. So I wrote this last night. We know you never ask anything about your brother. This is 8 o'clock last night. But we just got off the phone with him. And the first thing he asked was, how's Wendy holding up? 
I didn't have the heart to tell him that you never called us or asked about him. I just said, we weren't up to phone calls right now. Everyone looks to protect you. I bet you've got a lot to think about. But then she didn't answer. So then I got another call from Charlie. And I said, just got off the phone with Charlie. He's worried about you. He wants to know why we didn't speak. I told him a lie. I said, we're only speaking with you and Dan right now. I couldn't bear to tell him the truth. Your sister never even called us is the truth. So she says this morning, I thought she'd be racing over here last night. Dear mom, I know you are upset by the verdict, but the anger directed at me is not justified. I don't know how much anger we don't. I'm not responsible in any way for Charlie's situation. I am not guilty because I did not do anything wrong, and I was not involved in any way with Danny's death. When I was interviewed by the police and testified in court, I told the truth as I was required to do. I cannot control how the prosecutor used my statement to Charlie's trial. Again, I didn't say that. Also, as you know, my, I do know, my lawyer has advised me not to talk to my family or anyone else about this case. Now, about the case, which is true, we've never done it. I followed his advice despite your disagreements with this guidance. Please do not text me about this case anymore. Not about the case, is it? Not what I said. About her brother and that he wants, how are you, Wendy? How's my sister holding up? Mm-hmm. If you have anything further to say about the case, please go through our lawyers. Right now, I have to be singularly focused on taking care of the boys during this difficult time. So I wrote back, okay. We have no desire to speak with you about the case. I guess Dad and I are just shocked that you didn't think of coming to see us or even calling us. We are your parents. We are and have always been there for you and the boys. None of what we wrote matters about the case. That's over. I just want you to know how many times Charlie is asking about you. Not only do you not ask about us, but not one question about Charlie, right? We will need to give you some information shortly, and we need some business assistance. Please let us know if you can be of any help. I have a space here. I want to give her pose. We're going to be gone. I want her to have all this information. I have the, I have the cemetery property. I want her to see all that. I want her to have all these papers and the wills. I want her to see all this. So please let us know if you can be of any help. The other thing is the visa, which she would know about the visa. No, I said we need, we need some business assistance. Please let us know. If, if not, we'll try to find someone who can help us. This needs an immediate reply so I can start asking other people to help. And then she always gets nervous if we want to talk to her. So I wrote, don't get nervous. Again, nothing, in capital letters, nothing about the case. Just would like to show you some business stuff and personal things. If you can't do it, we must find someone who can. I hope you understand that it has nothing to do with the case. There is no more case. Every time she says, can you do this? Can you come here? Can you do this? Everything, but how many times do we have plans that I really can't and have to cancel? Wendy needs us for this. Wendy needs us to babysit. So we've been really good nannies, and I oh, guess yeah. our, our job is up. Because now the boys are older, they can go out with friends, and they can do things on their own. So she doesn't need grandma and grandpa. Okay, pretty hurtful. I have one son that I don't speak with. I have one son who's close to being dead. And my daughter, whom I love, is doing this. I don't get it. I don't get it. I said to Harvey, I swear to God, our family was cursed, absolutely cursed, and I don't know how to take care of it anymore. So, 
All right. So there's a lot to talk about about this phone yeah, call, there actually. There's yeah, there's there a lot going on here. And I I almost felt bad for Donna Sue when I was listening to this. Almost. And I think that's the point. This gives a very clear look into the Adelson family dynamics. Donna Sue is dramatic AF. She's got one son she doesn't speak to. That's your fault. One son who's close to being dead. No, he's not. And then Wendy does this. What did you expect her to do? Let's say Wendy had no knowledge of this. Let's say Wendy did not know what you guys were doing. And then she watched the trial and and, and saw the evidence. And as an intelligent person and, and a lawyer was like, oh, damn, my family did this. Why would she talk to you? Why would she want to be close to you? And why would she be spending all this time with you and calling in to check up on you guys and to check up on Charlie when you put yourselves in the stupid position and you stole the father of her children from her children and from her? So this is this is stupid, the way that the, the Donna Sue is, is going about this. And, and then when she says she sent uh, Wendy this text message the night before, you know, this very guilt-tripping text message, like, I can't believe your brother's asking about you. And all he's in prison right now. And all he cares to to worry about is, are you doing okay? And you're not even asking about him. And she says to the person she's talking to, I expected Wendy to race over here last night. This is what Donna's used to. She's used to throwing out these little like guilt trips and then having her children respond to come in and, and soothe her, to comfort her, to give her what she wants. And when Wendy didn't do that, she was like, what? I expected her to race over here last night. How dare she not? But what was interesting is she said in the text message to Wendy, everyone looks to protect you. Seems like you've got a lot to think about. Everyone looks to protect you. What could she be referring to? To me, she's indicating like we did this for you. And yet, you know, this is that seems like what she's saying. Life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, over, overall, I think there's a couple things that I take away from this conversation. One being the, the obvious that she's trying to set up some things business wise, personal wise, financially before she either kills herself or takes off. It sounds like she's getting ready to leave. I also think and you kind of you said you mentioned this before the recording started. In my experience, when you have someone where there's a group of individuals who are equally involved with a crime, if we catch two out of three of them and then we're listening to a wire. The person who hasn't been caught yet but is involved will placate that person a little bit more. They, it's a balancing act, right? Like they're trying not to be connected to it, but they're also trying not to piss off the person who could implicate them. Wendy is not doing that. She's very cold to her mom. She's very – that statement more than likely was written by her lawyer and then forwarded to her and she texted it to her mom. So at this point, I think it's very clear that if Wendy had been directly involved, she would be – entertaining her mother a little bit more because of the idea that Donna could simply go in and be like, listen, Wendy was in on this. We all sat down. We talked about it. This happened. So I think Wendy at this point genuinely knew that they were involved, did her best at trial to help Charlie without hurting herself. Um, But I don't think she was directly involved. Oh, I see it completely differently. Okay. I don't think you that do. I don't think that Wendy did anything not during her police interview and not during the trial to help her brother. Nothing. I think that everything she did made her brother and the situation look worse. And there's you, a lot. We just spent three parts talking Yo. about how every time the prosecutor asked her a question that could implicate her brother more, she played dumb or. And then deflected. we said that it just made it made Charlie it made Charlie's case look worse because the jury was like, 
wait, like, why can't you just answer this directly? We we literally had that discussion and I just put it up on Instagram where you said we both agreed like, yeah, Wendy testifying made everything worse for Charlie. But, because, it, but, but you have to relative because to she's what? unlikable, like unlikable. Yeah, oh, no, for sure. But relative to what? She's sitting up there knowing that her brother did this. They've had conversations behind closed doors where we don't even probably know the half of it, where if she was up there and forthright and honest, she would have buried them. But again, I think Wendy's very unlikable. I'm not disagreeing with that. But what's the trade off? What's the what's the alternative in that situation? Deflect and come off like an asshole or just agree with the prosecutor because she's right. Like what she's saying, the prosecutor was making perfect sense. Wendy was trying to play attorney by saying a lot while also saying very little. <laughs> I think Wendy was concerned with not implicating herself. Of course. She didn't give course. a shit about her brother and her entire family saw that because they know her. And I think she also knows that Donna Sue, no matter what Wendy does, is never going to go to the police or anybody and say, well, you know what? Wendy knew about this because that would mean that Donna Sue would then have to admit her guilt. We were talking during Crime Weekly News about four-year-old Jessica Gutierrez's killer and how you know he might. we hoped that he would reveal the location of her body but in order to do that he would have to admit his guilt and some people just will never do that Donna Sue Donna Sue Adelson is one of these people and Charlie Adelson are one of these people that will never admit to their guilt it doesn't matter if they sit in prison for the rest of their lives they will cry about how they're innocent and wrongly accused and wrongly convicted for the rest of their lives until they die so for Donna Sue to go to the police or the prosecution and say Wendy knew about this she'd have to be admitting her own guilt and then she would be taking the only parent that her grandchildren have away from her grandson's who are her sunshines. So why would Donna do that? And Wendy knows very well that she never will. And I think that Donna Sue saying, everyone protects you. It looks like you have things to think about. How did they try to protect her other than hiring somebody to kill Dan Markell? Uh, you say other than other than hiring someone to yeah, kill other the guy? That, who's other than that thing? Other than that, like that what would thing? they do to protect her? So in saying everyone looks to protect you, it is in a way admitting that that Donna Sue and Charlie did what they did to protect Wendy, and it's also admitting that Wendy knew about it. So that doesn't, whether, I don't I disagree. I agree. It also admits that she knew about it. I agree with the first part, but where do you get the she? This is also they could have decided to protect her without her asking for protection. So if if so, if my mother had said that to me, everyone looks to protect you, and I was Wendy, my response would be like, protect me? How? How how are you looking to protect me? What have you done to protect me? Wendy's sitting there crying to Charlie and Donna Sue every single day about how the big bad Dan Markell and his family were keeping her from taking the kids to southern South Florida and that Dan Markell refused money and was making her life difficult. And when the divorce was ugly and she's sitting there telling them how horrible he is and how poorly he treats her all the time. So they took it upon themselves to help her. Mm. That's how I would see it. So here's the thing. I also think the way Wendy responded to her mother, I completely agree with you that this statement was either run by her lawyer or written by her lawyer. 100%. But the way that Wendy responds and she's like, I am not responsible for the position Charlie's in. I am not guilty. I did not do anything. I did not have anything to do with what happened to Danny. She's saying this and her mother, even while she's reading the text out loud, she's like, 
Well, I never said that. Again, I didn't say that. So Wendy's responding in a way where she's thinking these texts are going to, uh, there's a law possibility that these texts are are going to eventually be seen by law enforcement or the prosecution. And so she's expressing, I am not guilty. I did not do this. I had nothing to do with this. I'm not responsible for Charlie's situation when that was not even the conversation or the topic that Donna had brought up. So Wendy is in defense of herself when she wasn't even accused of doing anything in this phone conversation. And that seems like a tactical move. Yeah, I will save it for the end. We can, we'll, we'll, uh, let's, um, I think we have one more break. We'll take our last break, then we'll finish out this episode. And at the end, we can talk about our final thoughts on this one because okay. we could do it right now, but we still yeah. have a little bit of the episode to go. Our friends at ZipRecruiter conducted a recent survey and found that the top hiring challenge employers face for 2024 is a lack of qualified candidates. But if you're an employer and you need to hire, here's good news. ZipRecruiter has smart tools and features that help you find more qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Crime Weekly. Here's how ZipRecruiter's tools and features help you find the best people for your roles. So as soon as you post your job, ZipRecruiter's power matching technology is going to show you candidates whose skills and experience match your job. You can use ZipRecruiter's invite to apply feature to send top candidates a personalized invite to encourage them to respond to your job post. And when you use ZipRecruiter's rating tool to rate your candidates, they send you more matches from new profiles that are created on the site. ZipRecruiter is not only great for employers who are looking to hire, but it's also great for people who are applying to jobs and they want to find the perfect match for them. So we love ZipRecruiter. We think it's the best way to find a job or to find people to fill your jobs. And Derek's going to tell you how you can check them out for yourself and try them for free. That's right. Let ZipRecruiter help you conquer the biggest hiring challenge, finding qualified candidates. I can definitely attest to that. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Crime Weekly. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Crime Weekly. And Crime Weekly is all one word, C-R-I-M-E-W-E-E-K-L-Y. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay, we're back. So Donna Sue says that Wendy claimed she was told by her lawyer that she wasn't supposed to talk to her parents or anyone about the case. But Donna Sue also has a conversation where she's like, we checked this and that's not true. Our lawyer reached out to Wendy's lawyer and found out that Wendy's lawyer had not told her that. And we're not even trying to talk about the case. We want her to come over here and deal with some business things and and help us out with these things and just basically know where everything is. Because Donna thinks that that she's next. She's the next person to be arrested or she's going to take her own life or something, but she's not going to be around to to show Wendy these things. Now, personally, I think that that was just a guise. I think that Donna Sue just wanted the attention from Wendy and, and wanted almost like the gratitude from Wendy. Like, we did this for you. And how dare you now, like, abandon us? She just wanted to know that Wendy appreciated what she did because everything with Donna Sue is very transactional. Oh, we babysat her kids and we were great nannies, but now she doesn't need us anymore. I see how it is. Like, how could this possibly happen? It's all transactional. I did this for you. So now you have to do stuff for me. And Wendy's not playing along. And so I think Donna Sue is like, well, it's not even like that I need her to come over here and just like, you know, pat me on the head and take care of me. But I have important business matters to talk about with her. So I think that that whole conversation is showing this break, not only between 
um, Donna, Sue, and Wendy, but Wendy and her entire family. Wendy's putting space between all of the Adelsons. She wants to just really not be connected to it or be in their sphere at all, because I think Wendy knows that her mother's about to be arrested. Now, here are the statements that really put Donna Sue Adelson between a rock and a hard place. First, she speaks to Harvey about how she's considering ending her life. In fact, she suggests that they do it together. Donna Sue says she can't go to prison. She says she's seen what being behind bars for a year and a half has done to Charlie, and she's not strong enough to handle it. I can't. I can't. I'm not that strong. And I don't know how he, in a year and a half, his body and everything just slowly started to deteriorate. I'm old. I have a life. We had a great marriage. Happy. We traveled. We lived good. I was really not unhappy. And I'm more than willing to just say goodbye. I'm not going to lie down. It's nothing painful. I just want to go to sleep. We bought our cemetery property a couple months ago. We're good. I'm good. Donna Sue said, quote, am I suicidal? No. Do I want to go to sleep and not see my son? I do. Perfectly honest. I do. We could do it together. Leave a note. They'll know when they come to get us and we'll do it together. End quote. So she's basically suggesting like a, a, a Romeo and Juliet suicide thing with her and Harvey. Like even though, he, you know, we believe that he probably was not a part of this plot and, and he's just been caught up in this. And she's like, let's just we had a good life. We had a good marriage. We traveled. We were happy. Let's just end it. You know, let's go out on a high note. After that, Donna Sue begins going over their options for getting out of the country to a place that does not have extradition to the United States. Now, after the verdict, Donna Adelson knew the heat was on. She was talking to Charlie's lawyer, Dan Rauschbaum, about it and that she was living on borrowed time. She said it was worth the risk to try to get out of the country. Look, I'm going to make a decision at some point. So after speaking to Dan this morning and knowing what they're thinking up there. I don't know if we'll make it out in time. I really don't. But Dan said, you might, or you might do all of this, get to the airport, and they'll stop us. And that could happen. It could happen. I don't know. But it's worth a try. Donna Sue said, quote, we've been looking it up over and over because things change. If there's extradition from Vietnam, because we've looked at all the places, I mean, I could go to Korea and China, but there's no extradition. Looking for places where there's no extradition, end quote. Donna and Harvey also discuss asking Wendy for help with getting visas. And Harvey asks, will Wendy tell? And Donna says, well, we'll just have to let her know that we're asking her these questions in her capacity as a lawyer so she can't break privilege. I don't really know if it works like that if you're related to the person. I don't really know if it if it works like that, but it might. But either way, they're literally talking about getting out of the country, getting visas, going to a place with no extradition to the United States. And they're they're talking about enlisting Wendy to help with that. On November 7th, 2023, Donna and Harvey Adelson booked one way flights to Vietnam with a stop in Dubai, leaving from Miami International Airport on November 13th at 8, 10 p.m. Needless to say, Donna, Sue and Harvey never made it onto that plane because the FBI were already in position at the airport to take Donna into custody, placing her under arrest for the murder of her son-in-law, Dan Markell. Why do I have to give this to you? Why do I have to give this to you? Why do I have to give this to you? Why do I have to give this to you? Why do I have to give this to you? Why do I have to give this to you? Why do I have to give this to you? Why do I have to give this to you? Why do I have to give this to you?
Okay. My husband's almost 80 years old. He can't yeah, come I with can't. me. Please, can I? No, can't do it. Oh, don't do this, please. Please. Oh, God. I had to help him get home. This is terrible. You okay, can't do this. Is okay. okay with you? Please. 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 Can I call my attorney? Okay, you can get your password right. Where am I going? Where am I going? You're going to the day county. Day county, yeah. You're making a mistake. Yeah. So you saw in that clip that Harvey's very upset. He's like, you're making mistakes here. Donna is, is sitting there and, and basically as soon as they approach her, they try to take her cell phone from her and she yanks it out of their hands. And she's like, no, you can't have this. And they're like, what are you talking about? Do you understand you're under arrest? <laughs> like, yeah. You don't call the shots here, lady. Give us your phone. It's evidence. He says to her, it's evidence. They make her take off all her jewelry right there. Very demeaning for her, I'm sure. Um and, and she's she's making a big deal like, no, uh, can't my husband come with me? He's 80 years old. How's he going to get home by himself? Like, you can't do this. Poor Harvey. And she's like, Harvey, just go home and try to relax, okay? And, and she's making this big dramatic deal out of Harvey getting home alone. Like, he's not a grown-ass man who can't get an Uber. But anyways, she gets arrested. She doesn't want them to have her phone. It's very interesting. Why doesn't she want them to have her phone? I'm sure that law enforcement is going to find some very interesting things on there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, and it's a fall from grace. This is, again, people who are not used to hearing no, very uh, successful, wealthy, whatever they want, they get. The world is kind of, you know, their little playground. And in that moment, you're stripped down to your basic necessities and you, you lose all freedom other than the right to call an attorney. So it's it's probably, like you said, very demeaning, very demoralizing to have to take off your jewelry in a public place where a year ago, two years ago, you were traveling probably the world, getting mm-hmm. to experience all these things and maybe looking down on others. And now here you are, you're, you're the thing that everyone's looking at and and looking down on. Yeah. And I think I think it's it's a testament to the continued delusion of the Adelsons because they purchased these plane tickets on November 7th, the day after Charlie was found to be guilty of these crimes. November 7th. The plane didn't leave till November 13th. Did Mm. Donna really think she wasn't being looked at? Did Donna really think that the police weren't keeping an eye to see on whether she was making travel plans with one way tickets to suspicious places that didn't have extradition to the United States? Like Mm -hmm. the least you could have done is book a round trip ticket to make it look like you planned on coming back. But because she's so just thinks she's so superior and so much smarter than everyone else, she does this very suspicious thing a week before she even takes the flight, you know, and it's just like, did you not? You thought you could be arrested, but did you not think that they were watching your every move at this point looking for you to do something exactly like this? And you talked about it on the, the jailhouse call the day before. So what is she thinking here? It's just it doesn't make any sense. She really thought she was just going to stroll into that airport, get on a plane and fly away from any accountability. On December 11th, Donna Sue appeared before Leon Circuit Judge Stephen Everett for her arraignment and hearing on a motion filed by her lawyer to remove her from suicide watch at the Leon County Detention Facility, which happened to be the exact same place that Charlie was. Uh, This was also where she entered her not guilty plea. But the whole 
um, motion to get her removed from suicide watch was very important. And also this these claims made by Donna Sue and her attorneys that she was being very mistreated while in custody of the police. So Donna Sue's attorney, Maricel Descalzo, alleged in court documents that her client had been subjected to cruel and inhumane conditions during her two-week stay at the detention facility, claiming that after Donna arrived there on November 20th, she was put in the infirmary under supervision before being moved to a small, solitary unit with a toilet, a sink, a mattress on the floor, and a dirty blanket. Although Donna had requested something to read, like a book or the Bible, she was not given anything. She wasn't even given utensils. She was forced to eat her meals with her hands. On November 21st, a mental health official asked Donna about medication she was taking, but Donna claims she felt uncomfortable because she could not see this person's face, and she wasn't certain that they were actually a healthcare professional. So the motion stated, quote, when Donna made her concerns known, the official told Donna that Donna is a fancy white lady who murdered her son and now she thinks she has rights. The official joked with the other guards about this outside Donna's door. End quote. Maricel Descalzo also wrote that some jail staff had treated Donna Sue poorly, withholding her blood pressure medication and not allowing her to shower for days at a time. The lawyer claimed that even though Donna Sue had not been convicted of any crime, jail officials were intentionally punishing her and violating her constitutional rights, stating, quote, instead of providing her actual medical care, the jail has shown deliberate indifference to Donna's medical needs and letting her become weaker and weaker as she sits in her jail cell naked all day with nothing but a mattress on the floor. End quote. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that these things aren't true. I do believe that the jail did not give her utensils to eat with, and I believe that maybe they didn't even give her clothes, and she was forced to sit without clothes in this room. But that's because she was on suicide watch. So I think that that's pretty common. They don't give you anything that they think you can use to end your own life. And it's not hard to understand why they placed on a sue on suicide watch, considering the statements that she made during that phone call. Um, do I think that there was a medical or mental health professional who was like, oh, you're just a rich white lady and you thought you could get away with this, like making fun of her? I don't believe that that happened. Do I think that they withheld her blood pressure medication? No, I don't think that that happened. But either way, Donna sues the perpetual victim and she just wants people to feel bad for her. During her court appearance, she behaved in the way she'd been accustomed to behaving her whole life, extra and entitled, forcing the judge to have to step in at some point and tell her to chill out. It was a big day for Donald Adelson, Vinny. We didn't know what we were going to expect from the matriarch of the Adelson family. She walked into the courtroom today, which was different than the last time she had a first appearance in front of a judge. She was only remote, but now she walked in with handcuffs on and she looked very erect in the way that she walked in, rather confident, uh, a little bit hunched over when she sat in the chair talking to her attorneys, but completely engrossed in these arguments. So other than entering her plea today, she had an emergency motion that was on the record with the judge and this was the time to hear his decision decision and to hear these arguments. And it all has to do with where she's being kept in the jail, what unit she's being kept in. Here's a look at a bit from that emergency motion where it talks about her being moved to the infirmary under direct observation by officials. She was then placed in a small solitary unit with a toilet and a sink and a mattress on the floor and a dirty blanket. This is what her defense is alleging. They're saying she had requested a book or a Bible, had not been given anything, and had 
been forced to eat food with her hands. So today was all about trying to get her either a psych evaluation ordered by the judge, a new unit inside of the Leon County Jail, or to get her released to house arrest was another one of the requests by the defense. So again, she was leaning into these arguments, even had some audible reactions to her attorney, Marcel DeCaso, who was making those arguments on her behalf. And then sort of for the state or for the jail, you had the attorney for the Leon County jails and really jails across the state, Greg Toomey, and also Norman Mack, the chief deputy of the detention center. Take a listen. We are now on day 22 of direct observation. Uh, Mrs. Adelson continues unable to participate in her defense. She's not permitted any papers. I cannot mail her anything. Uh, I did have a call with her on Friday, but only because Mrs. Kappelman facilitated it for me. And on that call, it was not a private call. Uh, Ms. Adelson was forced to put me on speakerphone with guards listening. Um, there, is, there is just no way that Mrs. Adelson can prepare for her defense in this manner. There is no impediment to her speaking with her lawyer, seeing her lawyer, over and above using a tablet. The tablet has a headset that can be used as a ligature. When she was booked into the jail here, she made a statement that she wanted to die. Now, before she was arrested in Miami, she also had a phone call with her son, who's obviously in jail here. 25-minute phone call. I've personally listened to it. She um, very clearly spoke about a plan to kill herself using sleeping pills. If One moment, Ms. Adelson, please keep your comments to yourself. Let your lawyer argue on your behalf. Spoke of a plan to kill herself if she could not escape the country before arrest. That was known to the folks in this jail when she got here. That's why she's on watch. The, med the mental health professionals see her every day. They are not satisfied that she's safe. In a word there, the defendant expressive. She almost seemed that she wanted to make eye contact with Chief Mack to, to make sure he looked her in the eye when he was saying those things that she clearly didn't agree with. The ruling on this, the judge decided that he could not get involved at this stage, that the jail has other avenues that they need to exhaust before he would feel comfortable getting involved because of separation of powers. So ultimately, didn't find any constitutional violations from the bench, and he asked these parties to make it happen where Donna Adelson can talk to her attorney privately. Even after being told to keep her comments to herself, Donna Sue could not help herself from glaring at those talking to the judge, from shaking her head, rolling her eyes and smirking when things were said that she didn't agree with. And I'm not sure if you heard it when they were talking about her making those comments in the call. She she piped up. She was like, oh, my God. Like, she just was. Just, I can't believe they're saying this. She's just the audacity is all I all I can say about this. <laughs> On Friday, January 10th, 2024, a substitution of counsel motion was filed to replace Donna Sue's attorney, Maricel Descalzo, with Charlie's lawyer, Daniel Rashbaum, the same lawyer who had not been able to get Charlie a non-guilty verdict. Donna Sue hired Rashbaum, along with a well-known Tallahassee criminal defense attorney, Alex Morris, to represent her in her upcoming murder trial. Morris released a statement shortly after this motion was accepted, saying, quote, Donna Adelson is a mother, grandmother, and wife. She is not guilty of the crimes with which she is charged. She has never participated in any criminal conspiracy and certainly not one where the object was to kill Dan Markell. End quote. As of now, no trial date has been set for Donna Sue. 
But Daniel Rashbaum has announced that she will not be waiving her right to a speedy trial. They want to get to the trial as soon as possible, and Rashbaum expects that this trial should happen by the summer. As of now, though, legal professionals and armchair detectives alike are debating on whether or not Donna Sue will be the last arrest in this case, or if there are more to follow, specifically Wendy and her father, Harvey. And and it came out that... When police first interviewed her, they asked her if she would know anyone who would do this. Naturally, they went to her. She was the one having issues with Dan Markell. And she immediately began spilling the beans on what a difficult situation it was, how mad her parents were at it, uh, the things that Charlie had said, things that she just volunteered to police. What do you think that was about? I I couldn't make up my mind if that was someone speaking who was guilty, trying to cover it up, or... Um, someone who just didn't really know what was going on and was afraid that something awful had happened. Right. I mean, I, I heard that part of her testimony, and it sounded at the time, you know, if you put that testimony in a box and just in a vacuum, it sounds sincere that, you know, when asked by investigators who could have done this, and she insinuated, would look at my brother Charlie. So that goes to her defense if there is charges filed against her, but then. When you look at all the other things, that this is your family, they did it at, at your behest, if not at your request, that's where we're going to start getting into the, the nuance of, you know, back and forth between the prosecution and the defense, whether she had actual knowledge of, a, of an actual plan in effect, or as her ex-boyfriend indicates, that it was explored. Doesn't mean that it was uh, executed with her knowledge, but that Charlie had discussed with her that it was explored. Dr. Lacey, uh, I got to ask you, you watched her on the stand. She didn't strike me as someone that would be rattled under pressure. I thought she handled herself extremely well on the stand. Um, She didn't strike me as someone who would go into an interrogation room or would be, you know, interviewed by police and be so nervous that she just sort of spilling the beans. So in my, my heart of hearts, I believe that maybe it was calculated. What sense did you get of her on the stand? I would probably say that when she went to the stand, obviously she was well prepared and she knew probably with the help of those that are around her of what was going to be asked. But when I look back at the video of her being interrogated, I would imagine that some of that truly was probably authentically her, but then there's some part of it that probably she did know that because her boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, you know, in those romantic relationships, you're very comfortable, you speak the truth, you are, you're in this un, an intimate relationship. So I would imagine with the very least agreeing with Jason that she probably at least had some exploratory conversations or knew what was being discussed, the execution of it, perhaps they protected her from that. Now, Carl Steinbeck, you know, conspiracy charges don't require that much, just a a couple of act in furtherance of the conspiracy, an agreement between the group. The one thing they don't have though with Wendy is a lot of her on tape. A lot of these using the code and doing the different things that they've got against Donna and Charlie. They don't have her doing that. Your thoughts on whether she might be next. I will say one thing. In the probable cause affidavit for the arrest of Charlie, she's mentioned as a co-conspirator. In the one for Donna, she is not. I'll just say that. But your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of indications of what she was doing before during and after the murder of Dan Markell to indicate she was not only just aware of it, but she was actively involved in it. In fact, the prosecutor in the closing argument of Charlie Adelson's trial argued that 
Jeff Lacoste, her ex-boyfriend uh, that she dumped a few days before the murder, actually was framed to be the fall guy. He was supposed to take the, the fall and have the police go after him, but uh, he left town a day earlier, so her plan backfired. And he also had uh, videotape to show he was up in Tennessee. So she took an active role in a number of ways. She also didn't talk to Dan the week he was murdered. He was trying to talk to her about this, the new school she had set up to, with the boys unbeknownst to him. And so Dan was actually talking to somebody at the school to try, try to find out more about the school at the time he got uh, the two shots to, to his head. So there is, there is a lot of evidence there. Uh, and I, I would submit to you there's well over 100 indicators of her involvement. I've put those out there on our YouTube channel, Jury Trial Mentor, and you can come to your own conclusions as to whether she was involved or not. But I think there's a strong enough case that there, there could easily be a, a proof beyond a reasonable doubt if you have the right prosecutor trying it. Yeah, and it's important to note that the limited immunity that she got was only to anything she testified to. All the evidence you're talking about and anything that was garnered other than through her testimony is still useful against her in a prosecution. I suspect they may need her for Donna's prosecution, and then they may go after her. In Wendy Adelson's police interview, you saw she was asked whether anyone would hurt Dan, and she told them that joke that Charlie made about the TV and the hitman. This is Stephen Webster's take on that. It's really interesting now. Um, you know, looking at it now, I almost wonder if that wasn't somewhat of a insurance policy for Wendy, that, that if, that if it went sideways and if, uh, the truth came out that she would be able to hide behind that and say, look, I, I wouldn't have pointed the finger at Charlie right away if I was involved in it. You know, I was just genuinely trying to help the law, the police figure out who did it. Um, but I know Charlie, he seems to have a lot of animosity towards Wendy at this point, if you listen to his jail phone calls. And I'm sure that's part of it. Prosecutors say she's an unindicted co-conspirator, as is her father, Harvey. I mean, for all we know, there could be sealed indictments sitting around somewhere. Uh, do, you, do you think that eventually the prosecution, do you think they're just going one by one, you know, just kind of dismantling the conspiracy, like knocking kind of one pin down at a time? Or what is your feeling and your thought on that? You're in Tallahassee, you travel in these legal cir circles, you've been attached to this case for so long. So do you believe she will be indicted? I do, more so now than ever. Why? Um, you know, I just get a sense that, that the strategy that the state attorney's office has employed has worked. And there are major fissures now in their house, um, their, def their defense. Charlie being sentenced to life, Donna in the Leon County Jail, um, like you said, Wendy identified as an unindicted un 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 co-conspirator. And I feel as though that there is going to be um, additional arrests made. And I'm not sure if it's both or one or the other, but I do believe there are, there are more arrests coming. Wendy Adelson has always maintained that she and her family had nothing to do with Dan Markell's murder. Do you think that that arrest of Wendy, if it indeed happens, do you believe that it will come after Donna Adelson's trial or before? I mean, I'm sure they can do more than one thing at a time. I mean, it's the same case, basically the same evidence with some, I'm sure some differences here and there. That was my belief um, when Donna was first arrested, but I'm starting to lean towards the possibility that momentum is picking up faster. Um, you know, the, 
the the search the search warrants that have recently been served. We don't know what they were for, but you know we know that they got electronic devices from from Donna. Um, all of the jail phone calls. It just feels as though there is real momentum right now in this case, and I think it's a distinct possibility that the state makes another arrest before Donna's trial, and there's and there are more than one defendant sitting at that table. Really? So you think there's a possibility that Donna and Wendy could be tried together? I do. I think it's a possibility. I didn't believe that two weeks ago, but I just get the sense that with what's happening, with the momentum that's picking up, with the search warrants, with the electronic devices, with the phone calls, you know, it just, the release of the phone calls with Donna being where she's at, that there is, that their whole earth is shaking underneath their feet right now. And the state has worked this perfectly up to this point. They've utilized each trial to kind of pull out, call out some more information, pull some more information out. Wendy is locked in to some, to some really bad testimony. Her testimony at the subsequent trials where she had use and derivative use immunity, you know, that's, that's not going to be used. But unless she gets on the stand and says something different, then they can use it to impeach her. But her original sta- statement to law enforcement was that she drove up to the crime scene. That's that's an evidence that can be used against her. That that was not obtained under uh, any any grant of immunity. So that testimony is damning, and she can try to spin it any way she wants. That was my comfortable route. That's the way I like to go. But nobody in Tallahassee is going to buy that. No juror in Tallahassee is going to buy it. So that's where we are now. I am very interested to get to a place where we can see what happens during Donna Sue Adelson's trial, because I suspect that it's not going to be the same information that we already know. Obviously, that's going to come into play. But I suspect the police obviously have more that implicates her deeper in this conspiracy to take Dan Markell's life. And I'm very much looking forward to seeing what kind of evidence they have. But at this point, we've reached the end of the episode and it's time for final thoughts. Uh, We've reached the end of the series and it's time for final thoughts on this case in general. Do you want to go first? I'll let you go first. No, I'll let you go first. Okay. So try to try to go in chronological order here because this is an eight part series. So there's a lot. And I'm going to do my best not to be redundant here, because if you listen to the series, if you watch the series, you know a lot of what I'm pulling from. So to start with the easy one, Harvey, uh, I I don't see an indictment for him. I I feel like if they were going to indict him, they would have uh, if they were going to arrest him, they would have done that when they when they arrested Donna, because it would be a very similar circumstance. I think you're looking at a situation where even the way she described him to the police officers, he's 80 mm-hmm. years old. How's he going to get home? I, I think they were more sheltering him because although he's a good dentist and all that, maybe he's not of the same mental capacity he once was. And they just they kept it in house and wanted to have as little people involved as possible to avoid, you know, the less than, you know, what they don't know can't hurt them type thing. So I think Harvey absolutely as trial took place and as maybe uh, conversations were happening behind closed doors, either it was directly said to him or he put two and two together, knowing his son, knowing his wife, knowing when she's nervous and when she's lying, probably put together what really transpired here. But he doesn't have an obligation to come forward and be like, yeah, I think they did it too. As a husband, as a father, he's going to play dumb at minimum, but at maximum, he's going to try to flee the country with his wife, which clearly he tried to do. So 
I, I, I don't see them going after Harvey in this, and I don't think anybody in that video suggested that either. Maybe one person did, but that's where I stand on Harvey. Um, as far as Charlie and uh, Katie and all them, it's pretty proofs in the pudding. We went over it, like I said, seven parts. The evidence is overwhelming against both of them, including the Luis uh, Garcia and Sigfredo uh, Garcia and Luis Rivera. Slam dunk for all of them. They can appeal it. Maybe something you never know with the judicial system. Nothing's guaranteed, but I think they're pretty much up. Uh, you know what's creek without a paddle, so they're gone. Which kind of now that brings us to Wendy, which I think is like where if we were to take a poll, that would where that's where the most dissension would be amongst our listeners and viewers. I think that's something where it's going to be the area where you're going to have people fall on two different sides of the aisle the most out of all of these people we've discussed. So first off, I'll acknowledge that if they have more evidence, more incriminating evidence against Wendy, and it wasn't needed for Charlie's conviction or it's not needed for Donna's conviction, they're not going to, they're not going to go forward with that. They're not going to disclose that. So I say all of what I'm about to say based on what we know, because I can't give you an analysis on something I haven't heard or seen yet. So I say that as a qualifying statement, as obviously if they come out with a video or an audio tape where Wendy's saying, yeah, I told you to do it this way, then obviously my opinion would change. Um, one more thing before I start jumping around, Donna Sue, the, obviously the arrest, I think it's good. I don't think it'll be as easy as a of a trial as it was for Charlie, unless there's, again, something I don't know. Because although she was involved, to me, if you're looking this at this in like a linear perspective, it was kind of Donna to Charlie, Charlie to Katie, Katie to the hitmen. So there was like this hierarchy, and she was the least hands-on out of all of them. Although I do think with the bump and the conversations and the things she said after, including most importantly a phrase that is not used enough, consciousness of guilt, right? What she did after the fact to suggest her part in the actual crime, I think that's going to be a big problem for her. Trying to flee the country is not a good look and can be used at trial. So back to Wendy. With Wendy, there's no doubt in my mind, we've seen it in our own personal lives where you have a family member that you care about who is going through a divorce or a traumatic situation and you're their shoulder to cry on. The mom, Charlie, they're all hearing from her every day about how her life is ruined, about how she can't leave with her kids, about how she just wants to be with them. And the big, bad, bad boogeyman, Dan Markell, is not allowing this to happen. And to be fair, I haven't really heard of many divorces where both parties aren't villainized to this extreme. It's a very common thing, unfortunately. So you have Charlie sitting there getting frustrated. You have Donna getting frustrated. I've said it before. They're wealthy successful people, they usually get what they want, not only because of their ambition and their determination, but also their money. So not getting what they want is not something they're accustomed to. So I think there's an ego element to this, but also an element of Wendy being the younger you know, sister or the daughter and that innate ability to want to protect her, that to, to want to help her out and to ease her pain. And so do I think there were conversations had with Wendy present about life without Dan Markell, without him being present? Absolutely. D would I even go as far as saying maybe there was some potential manipulation on Wendy's part where she knew how much she was infuriating Charlie 
and that maybe it would lead him to do something like this? Possible. But as far as the crime itself, I guarantee you that she was the first person they looked at. And investigators have already come out and said that they believe she had involvement. Like, they've inferred it multiple times. So, based on what we know now about the case, if they had enough to charge her, they would have charged her already before these other people, in my opinion. To me, them charging Charlie, Katie, and now Donna first tells me that they they feel she's involved but maybe they don't feel she has a they have enough yet to get a conviction and there's a big difference you can have enough to make an arrest you can have enough to get an indictment but are you going to have enough for a jury of her peers to find her guilty we have talked about the fact that she's very unlikable on the stand that would obviously go against her but we've said it before you only you have a 12 jury a 12 person jury. You only need one person to come back and say, yeah, listen, I definitely think she knew that this could be a potential possibility based on how unhinged her brother was. And there were conversations that probably happened that were sometimes funny, but also sometimes kind of serious and kind of more detailed and descriptive than they should be when you're talking about killing another person. And she just played ignorance to that, but they're going to have to show that she had some type of direct involvement, whether it was through money or the planning, I, that's what they're going to have to show. And as the experts on that video said, and they, they don't agree with me, I, they feel like there is stuff, but one of them did say she's not on tape a lot. She's not on video a lot. Yeah. Either and she, that was, she doesn't even have a lot of text messages, by the way, because she seems to have communicated mainly with her family through WhatsApp, not regular texting. Right. Which so is... either she's very either she's very methodical and measured or she's just lucky. But when I'm looking at it, do I think that Wendy could be arrested after all this? Yes, it's very possible. Do I think they're going to have enough to convict her? I think it's unlikely. I think that it's going to be a circumstantial case, which we've seen convictions before. But I think with everybody involved in this case, and it's a big web, she she has the most insulation. So unless they can convince Donna or Charlie or Katie or someone, which I think Katie, if Katie had any knowledge that Wendy was involved, she would have destroyed, she would have killed her. I think she, because at this point she's already going after Charlie. Why not bring down the whole clan that's responsible for her never seeing the light of day again? So Katie's, um, Katie has alluded to the fact that she believes Wendy was involved, but I do think that Charlie did a good job of keeping, well, just keeping everything separate. Like he didn't have any direct contact with Sigfrido Garcia or Luis Rivera. And none of those three, Katie, Luis, or Sigfrido had direct contact with Wendy. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of where I, where I'm at right now. Do I think there could be one more arrest? I don't think Harvey will get arrested. Uh, Wendy could get arrested. They may take a shot at her. Based on what they have, they may there may be a discussion where they say, "Listen, we think she's involved. Let's go for it. Let's see what the you know we got three out of four so far. Let's see what happens." But I think the reason they're hitting everyone else first is a, a strategic purpose, be, not because they're saving the best for last. It's because right now investigators are talking to prosecutors, and prosecutors are probably saying, "Yeah, we agree with you. We think she's involved, but we don't think we got enough for a conviction." So first of all, I want to say I don't think that what happened to Dan Markell had anything to do with protecting Wendy or easing her pain because there's no evidence that Dan Markell was physically or verbally abusive in any way. 
there's no evidence that I mean, she was the one who filed for divorce. She was the one that sort of, you know, bombarded him with this. He didn't really see it coming. I think it had to do with pride and ego. No one's going to get the best of the Adelson family. It wouldn't have mattered if they went after if someone was going after Wendy, if someone was going after Charlie, if someone was going after Donna Sue. They would have reacted in the same way. Do anything possible to make sure that the Adelson family always keeps the upper hand. No one is going to best us. It's a a pride thing. Now, I do think that Wendy is a target of law enforcement. I think that they may try to indicate that she knew before Dan Markell died that there was a hit on his life. However, she was not actively participating in planning it. And they might use this knowledge or this theory to try and get her to testify against her mother during Donna's trial. They may try to use Wendy as a witness, a state's witness against her mother. Um, That may be a route that they take. However, I do think that the arrests are not done. I agree with you on Harvey. I think that Harvey probably didn't know anything about it. It seems like he's kind of clueless. It seems like he kind of just goes about his day and and, and Donna Sue kind of wears the pants and runs the show and he just follows her lead. But with Wendy, there's too much here. Her driving by the house the day of the murder, her, you know, kind of making sure that um, Jeffrey LaCase was leaving on a certain time and, and verifying when he would be leaving and what route he would be taking. Her completely avoiding Dan Markell in the week leading up to his murder. She did a lot of things. Just her police interview in general was completely odd. The way she testified was completely odd. I, I think she knew. And and I don't even think that they directly came out and told her, but maybe it was one of these things where Charlie was like, you know, would you be okay if I got a hitman and took him out? Like, Would that be something you'd be open to? And she may have followed his lead and sort of, you know, did it in a joking way. But she would have been like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, let me know when you want to do that. I'm all for it. Let me know what you need from me kind of thing. And they both sort of tongue in cheek were like, "Okay, we understand what this means. I think there is going to be evidence that she had some knowledge of what was going to happen to Dan before it happened, which would then lead to, you know, You didn't stop it. You didn't do anything to prevent it. In a way, you are guilty, even if you were not responsible for setting up this hit. And they may use that little piece of information to get her to testify against Donna or to give them some information that will condemn Donna, Sue. So at the end of the day, those are pretty that's pretty much it wrapped up for me. Charlie's exactly where he needs to be. Donna Sue's exactly where she needs to be. Katie Magbanua, Sigfrido Garcia, Luis Rivera, they're all where they need to be. They played with fire and and they thought that they could outsmart, you know, law enforcement agencies, the FBI, everybody. And and that was proved to not be the case. So as far as Wendy, dude, I don't know. I feel bad because I don't want to say, yeah, throw her in prison. You know, she's got sons who already lost one parent. But at the same time, if she knew what was going to happen to Dan before it happened and she did nothing, I think that she does belong behind bars, and we'll see what happens. I'm very interested to get to Donna's trial, and when it does happen, we will do a Crime Weekly News to update you on any new information that that came out during that trial. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I'm gonna if that's the route they go, I, I'm sure there's case study on it, but I don't know how they prove just because she knew. How can they prove that she 100% knew unless there's like I said a recording or a text exchange? Like if these are conversations. Well, let's say they took Donna's phone, right? They took Donna's phone and there's a WhatsApp 
conversation between her and Wendy where there's something said there. Wendy can control what's on her phone. She can control what she deletes, what she gets rid of, what she doesn't want anyone to see. But Donna Sue, man, when she got arrested, she hung on to that phone for dear life. <laughs> like she was like yanking it out of their hands. She's like, you're not taking this. That leads me to believe there's something on that phone that, that she doesn't want anyone to see. And she did not do her due diligence in erasing or resetting her phone, which I definitely would have done before I went to the airport to flee the country <laughs> because I thought I was going to be arrested. I, I would have I done factory reset my phone, broke that bitch in half, put it in the freaking Atlantic Ocean, gotten a burner phone. No one's ever getting their hands on that phone. But Donna Sue, once again, thinks she's smarter than everyone no, else. Yeah, she's so. in trouble. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be I wish I had a defense I wish I had a defense attorney here like Sarah Azari or someone to talk about it because I don't even know the answer to this. I'm I'm thinking out loud, but it's a matter of if if someone says I'm thinking about killing this person, what's the legal obligation to report it? And if you don't report it, is it a crime? I don't yeah, think I, it is. I think that I I don't think I it think, is. Isn't there like a good Samaritan law like that? I like, mean, it's almost like it's the same thing as like when you see someone being assaulted on the street. If you, and you got these people who pull out their phones instead of helping, like yeah, but there's a good Samaritan law that that says. So they, I think I certain think states have that. a good Samaritan law, but it's I don't know how that works in. I don't know how that would work in Florida. I mean, I, I don't know the answer. That's why I'm saying I'm posing it as a question, and I'm sure there's going to be someone who's an attorney in Florida who can weigh in. And if you are, please do. But let's say for the sake of this conversation, to wrap this up, to end this on this question, if it was disclosed to Wendy Adelson before the murder that, hey, listen, even if it was, this is a lot, this is a lot, but let's say there was something where Charlie says to her and it's, there's evidence of it. Hey, all I got to tell you is don't be around Dan's house next week. That's all I'm telling you. And that's like the extent of what she knew. She can infer a lot of things from that based on the conversation. Does she have a legal responsibility to report it? And if she doesn't report it, she can, can she be charged with conspiracy to commit murder if the inference was made that there was going to be a, a murder because of previous conversations like, oh, it would be cheaper to hire a hitman uh, to buy a TV than hire a hitman, a hitman. I think that's going to be a, a burden of the prosecution to to describe and to articulate that conversation if it happened and describe how this murder could have been prevented, if not for. Wendy's inaction and if the Florida law supports a, a statute or a crime if someone is aware of what's happening and chooses not to report it that's like yeah. the, it's like a great question it's a great legal question and and um, I'd be interested to get some answers on it for sure because so I it says I, I looked it up and it says failure to report a crime also known as miss misprision of a felony is a crime committed when someone is aware that a felony has been committed but fails to disclose it to the authorities. This crime stemmed from English common law, which required citizens to report crimes or face criminal charges. However, there must be proof that there was an evil motive. Ignoring the crime will not result in prosecution. So, And she'd know that as a lawyer. Yeah, but you said that as if, if you know a crime was committed. Like if someone comes to you and says, I killed this person and you don't report it, it's a crime. But preemptively, it's like getting into the way like I could say tomorrow, I hate that dude. I'm going to kill him. Like if I see him tomorrow, I'm killing him like out of anger. Like that's what I'm asking. Like, where's the threshold? Because at that point, if we're to believe that she wasn't involved in the act 
And she was given a heads up where she knew what was going to happen preemptively. Is she responsible for making the the inference that that meant, oh, he's actually going to do it. This isn't just crazy Charlie talking out of his ass, talking like a tough guy again. He might actually do this. I need to go report it to police. I'm not defending her. I'm just I'm putting it out there because if the, I hope they have more than that, if that's what they go with. And because if that's what they have, that's why I'm saying it could be a, it could be a it's not going to be as clear cut as Charlie's case. I think you would even know. And that. I think uh, I think that there's so you can be considered an accessory to murder even if you did nothing. For instance, like let's say you knew your husband was going to be killed and you live in the same home together and you turn off your alarm system so that somebody can. Oh, enter you're, the you're, home. You're, you're. Yeah, but you're that's you're, an, that's an accessory. Yeah. But, if, but if you just knew about it, I don't know. I feel like there should be not if not if he said like, oh, you know, stay away from the house or joking like I might do do this and you said nothing if you were specifically told by Charlie or Donna Sue we are going to have Dan Markell killed yes. on this date yes and then you did nothing if there's not a law against that there definitely no, I, should I, be I actually agree with you like if there's something evidentiary wise that proves mm-hmm. she knew the date and time and how you know a general idea of what was going to go on although she didn't facilitate it she was involved in the planning of it right even though she wasn't the leader she's still involved with the planning so I would agree with you. The problem, the barrier is going to be, based on what we've seen so far, proving that beyond a reasonable doubt. I wonder if she would argue and be like, yeah, they did tell me, but they told me in the capacity of a lawyer, so I couldn't say anything. You know, oh, like, I mean, I'd be good luck with that one. She's better <laughs> off sticking with the version she's going with right, she's with right now. She's better off just completely denying everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But no, you're right. We'll we'll stay in touch with it. This probably isn't the last domino to fall. We'll see mm-hmm. how Donna Donna's trial plays out. Yeah. Although I think, if I had to guess, she's going to be found guilty as well. I, I don't yeah, think I it'll so. be as easy as of a, of a conviction as Charlie's case. And then, if they're going to do it, they got to do it sooner than later with Wendy. I don't know. After all the shit she talked about Tallahassee people and about the Tallahassee jury, after all that shit she talked. Yeah, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go, well, go for well for her. Any, uh, any final words from you? Obviously, we're going to talk about next week's case. By the way, this this series... There are a few of you, very few, but there are a few that on Instagram or YouTube are like, oh, when's it over? And, you know, I'm sick. Of, I don't like this case. So I want to be over it. Overall, analytically and engagement wise, this series was probably our most successful series since we've started Crime Weekly. We saw an exponential amount of growth in subscribers. We saw a lot of engagement in the comment section, the likes. Um, and we don't normally see that much interest in viewership by part eight. That's just the nature of our beast. That's what we do. And we understand that with any long form podcast like we do, there's going to be a natural drop off because some people are going to go search it and whatever. But I will tell you with this series, it was pretty consistent all the way through. So obviously, thank you for that. And we definitely learned a lot about it. And I do think it has a lot to do with the case itself, because it's such a fascinating story. And I think I said at episode one, this will more than likely be some type of lifetime movie or something at some point, because yeah. it has all the characters needed 
to make a really interesting film down the yeah, road. Absolutely. Yeah. And thank you to all the new subscribers to the yes. YouTube channel. Thank you for everybody who's found us through this case and you've decided to stay and, you know, hang on for the ride. Thank you to everybody who's been with us for a year or two years or six months. And, and you were with us throughout this case. I think it was an important case to talk about. And I think it's a great one to add to our library, our growing library. But next week we start a completely new case. So for everybody who wanted this one to be over, your wish is my command. <laughs> <laughs> Eight parts later. You're, yeah. we'll, we'll, well, now we'll grant it for you. It's when over. I'm finished. Okay. <laughs> I'm finished. <laughs> I mean, this is a man's life. I'm not over here like, I better rush through this. You know, like, no, I, no, I listen. Know. There was so much here. We Could we have done... I personally, and, and actually way down in the comments on this one, but I personally, and I've said this to you off camera, I like a longer series, shorter episodes. I feel like it's more consumable. You're getting less information in each episode it's easier to digest and i'd much rather have an, an extra episode to kind of compartmentalize each you know segment of this case instead of trying to cram it all in yeah, in two absolutely. parts or three parts and the episodes are three hours long mm -hmm. I, yeah. I just but maybe you guys disagree by all means tell us what you think we're always open to suggestions so nothing else from you we're wrapping yeah, up we're out of here let's wrap it guys, up yeah Appreciate you being here for us. This eight-part series, this has got to mm -hmm. be a tie for our longest series, right? Or was Adnan longer? No, I, I think like it's definitely up there. It's definitely yeah, it's up, up there. there for sure. Yeah. So we appreciate you sticking it out all the way through. We'll be back with a new case next week. Everyone stay safe out there. Have a good night. Bye. Bye.